I'm Noel Halsman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. If you're into athletics and training, you may have heard of this company. I'm Rami Alhamad, and I'm the CEO of Push. Push is an elite sport technology company based right out here in Toronto, Canada. Push builds technology to help athletes train. They're best known for the Push Band. It's an armband that tracks and analyzes your workouts. As an athlete myself, I know that performance feedback is something that everyone is searching for. Watches and products like Fitbit have been around for a while, but the next frontier is wearable tech that's seamless and highly sophisticated. Rami Alhamed has a master's degree in system design engineering. And when he got his idea, he never thought about going to a sports giant like Nike or Under Armour. Honestly, the thought of joining any of those did not occur to me whatsoever. I kind of immediately found the path and the the industry interesting, and I immediately gravitated towards the idea of building something on my own. So I don't think I even for a second entertained the idea of sending in an application to Nike and trying to convince them to do what I had in mind. I kind of just wanted to build it from scratch. I should then back up by saying, or or let you explain the the push product products. Can you talk a little bit about those? Absolutely. Yeah. Products is a good way of describing it now, but it definitely didn't start that way. Uh, So uh, approximately six six years ago, obviously at the time we were going through this big hype cycle around wearables. The Mm -hmm. idea of Mm -hmm. now that we have these smartphones in our pockets, and they were still in the early days of smartphones at the time, it was 2012. And um, people were starting to think about beyond just uh, answering emails, browsing the web, texting with people what else can you do with these devices and one of the immediate applications that came to people's minds is the idea of well if we can connect uh, things that can go on the human body to the smartphone can we potentially collect more useful data and actually help people improve their lives and that premise and that concept was really really intriguing to me Uh, when i kind of surveyed the landscape of what was out there and i pretty much bought on my own every single one that was out there so i had a fitbit had a fuel band nike fuel band at the time I was playing around with them at home and I was using them on my own. And I I just found that for something that I spent five years studying in my undergrad, which is accelerometers and gyroscopes and the sensors, the powering all those uh, wearables, uh, it definitely felt like there was a lot left on the table that just wasn't really being utilized in terms of what these sensors can deliver. So I started thinking about applications that can go beyond the simple step tracking approach and try to think of ways that we can uh, combine uh, sports science, biomechanics with the data that the sensors are able to provide. And that's really kind of, I started exploring that path and inevitably I ended up connecting with a few coaches at the University of Toronto that were using um, some tools to quantify their athletes' weight training. What, what kind of tools were they using? They were using uh, tools called, uh, one is called a Tendo unit. Okay. So this device has been around since the early 90s. It was invented in Europe, became incredibly popular in elite sports. And basically all it did is just add an objective metric for athletes when they're doing their weight training. So instead of looking purely at the weight that you're lifting, you would actually look at the speed at which you're lifting. Okay. The concept is very simple. Uh, but the power of it and the results that you get out of it is just mind-blowing. Uh, but the technology itself, the Tendo itself, is, is a really old, clunky box okay. with a rope that you have to tie to the equipment. It, it's just, it, as soon as I saw it, I could tell that there has to be a way to modernize this yeah. technology. And that's kind of when the two ideas came together. Well, if we could take the metrics that this device is able to capture and calculate them using accelerometers and gyroscopes in a wearable format, could we build something that's more affordable, easier to use, and then really push the software to do a lot more than what the Tendo itself is able to do? And that's kind of what led me down the path of building Push. I think, I think 
I'm correct in in saying that Fitbit was the first sort of activity tracker, but then Fuel Band, Nike's Fuel Band, and I know it was released in 2012. That really put this on on the map, um, and uh, and intended primarily as as just that, like to yeah. to track your your fitness and your and your movement and and I guess how many steps you were getting and you know mm-hmm. gesticulating and <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, the uh, did you when you sort of surveyed the landscape and, and saw the jawbones and the, and the fuel bands and the Fitbits, um, did you did you then think okay that's for the the mass sort of consumer who wants to be uh, more physically active, but I'm going to create a product that's specifically for a weightlifting audience. I think what ended up happening is when I kind of landed on this idea of I want to combine the metrics that you can get from a Tendo with the versatility and utility of a wearable. Uh, I started thinking about, well, if I'm going to build this thing, what is it going to stand for? What am I emulating? And uh, I immediately gravitated towards the stories of the early Nike days okay. with Bowerman. Yeah, yeah. And then I gravitated towards the story as well of Under Armour to some extent in their early days. And the one natural common thread that you see across both of those companies is that they started with Elite first. Yes. And then they grew from there. It's a tougher a uh, longer path to take, but I do think that if you if you really have the ambitions of building something that's long lasting with uh, with a true brand tied to it, you really want to start at the absolute pinnacle of a field, right? And when you think about the world of fitness, there is very much follows the shape of a pyramid, and I wanted to make sure that whatever I'm building is going to be good enough for folks at the very top of that pyramid first, and then think about ways that we can grow it to to nurture more. So for me, Fitbit is definitely. You know, their goal is really admirable, but I think they're very much focused on just getting people off the couch yes. and getting them moving. Yes. Uh, for me, I, I wanted to build a sport technology brand, so sport had to come first, and I wanted to make sure that what we're building is, is good enough for Olympic-level athletes before we can really think about how do we take it and make it more accessible across everyone, for everybody else. But then not necessarily exclusive to weightlifting. No, not at okay. all. We've we've really. This is why when you said products, I immediately stopped and smiled. Yes, <laughs> because I we're really um, we've been around for five years now, and uh, being an engineer, I'm constantly listening to to coaches that I work with, the athletes I work with, to try to look for other problems that we could solve. So since then, we've launched uh, another product that's focused on athlete wellness and readiness. So it's uh, it's a it's called the Push Vital System. We built it in collaboration with the San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but now have grown it into use by multiple NBA, MLB teams. And that product is much more focused on quantifying how ready you are to train on a daily basis. So it has nothing to do with weight training whatsoever. Uh, and now more recently, and this is kind of an exciting opportunity to kind of soft announce this, I'd say in Canada, is we've just uh, received a contract from the Canadian Olympic uh, Committee uh, through Athletics Canada to build a smart apparel product that'll be able to quantify running gait really, really effectively. So the the vision for Push has really grown from being a wearable that services the needs in weight training to a sport technology company that's addressing all the various needs and aspects uh, of training. And it's not simply focused on weight training, it's focused on all kinds of sports. So that's kind of really where we see ourselves growing. Oh, that's, that is interesting. And I know on your site, there's a number of testimonials. So the first one is from the strength and conditioning coach of the 49ers. And I, I sort of assumed that that was primarily for uh, for for weight training. Although yeah. I, I, I guess it also includes can include lots of movement. Yeah, absolutely. We track over 500 exercises. Uh, we with, with the push band, you're actually able now to track sports-specific movements. So if you're thinking about a, a baseball pitch, you can actually quantify it. 
as a coach using our technology. So it's it's grown much more beyond weight training. But that's definitely, you know, we've been around for four, five years. And the one thing that they don't really prepare you for in the world of startups and technology is how long it takes between the time you build something and between the time people know who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, as, as connected as we are globally, we're still, there's still quite a bit of healthy lag in between. So we're still, uh, I still go to conferences sometimes and people say, oh, you're the push band guys. And we're like, yeah, well, we have other things that we do too now. And the team has grown to cover a lot more ground, but they still know us at that weight training technology, which is, it's good and bad. It's good to be known for something that's that you're really well respected for, but it becomes almost a struggle of how do you grow beyond that. Yeah, extent. it's almost like you're kind of typecast initially yeah. as that. Yeah. So it starts off with the idea that you, yeah. that as you say, you have assembled the products and you recognize kind of the deficiencies and the gaps in the market. Yeah. But then what is the step two? Is it a matter of assembling like-minded people? Or, or is it, it for you, was it about securing funding? Like, yeah. how do you take what is sort of a realization or an epiphany to then start building the business? That's probably the toughest thing in the entrepreneur's journey is assembly. I would say beyond funding, the most critical element is people. You yeah. just simply can't build a company, an organization of one. It just wouldn't, wouldn't be able to deliver on anything substantial. So that, that was probably the toughest part uh, beyond just learning to to build the team and, and be able to kind of f- find the right people to fit. There's a lot of mistakes you make along the way because it's not exactly, it's not an exact science, right? Recruiting people to build organizations. So that's the first step that I try to take and I stumbled along the way, but uh, at this point, five years in, we have a team of really passionate sport um, sport fanatics, essentially, that are at push at various roles, developers, product managers, sports scientists, sales, marketing, and everybody has that common thread of being in love with the field of sport, and that's really what makes a company so special now. But that took a while to build because it's, it's really difficult to find that perfect synergy between people who are able to deliver in their own specific domain, but also have the passion for the space that you're in. And then after that, funding comes in, but that's it's a lot easier once you have the right people. Yeah, is the first hire a, a technology hire? Is it is it yeah. the scientist? the mathematician, uh, the physicist, whatever skill sets required to to get functionality, or is the first hire a fundamentally a business operations person? That's a great question. I would say you always want to start with the technology. Okay. Yeah. But being a technologist myself, uh, that wasn't as big of a struggle. Okay. Um, the first person I, I looked for was actually somebody with uh, more of a sports science slash design experience because I figured that could be a really good complement to my core skill sets at the time. But as a company evolved and grew, I've shifted my focus more towards business, uh, more sales, more customer interaction. Uh, and then now we have the right people on the team to kind of deliver on all the other aspects. But early days, you definitely want to look at what you're capable of building. I, I would say I've become, I've read this the book by Atulga one day, A Checklist Manifesto. Yeah, yeah, And I'm, yeah, I'm a firm believer in his approach. Yes. And I've actually, I actually think that in the in the Checklist Manifesto, he really does a good job of explaining how to break down very complex procedures. Uh, obviously, Atulga one day is a surgeon, so that yes. he uses yes. hospitals as a reference point. But a lot of times when he writes, he focuses on complex uh, procedures that can be broken down into simple steps. But I think that... Um, I've been reflecting on it myself and I've started to build uh, lists for things to, to checklists for things that are that are actually softer, less 
less concrete. So things like at the three months mark of, of a hire within push, how do we make sure that they're a good fit? And I basically reflected on things that went well with other previous hires, things that didn't go so well, and I built a list of those things. And I basically go through them at the three months mark to make sure. So going back to this, going back to our topic, I think that uh, if somebody's looking to start a company and they're looking for somebody that could really help, I would say start with building a checklist of what do you think you need to get this idea off the ground? And then check off the ones that you think you can cover on your own and then whatever is blank that's probably what you'll need and then at what point did you start reaching out to the sort of strength and conditioning coaches to get feedback and and to sort of loop them into the process i I did a lot of things wrong (laughs) the first year i made a lot of mistakes but the one thing that i'm probably proud of is that is I, i i reached out very early and i continued to stay in touch with uh the end users I did that really early. I wasn't shy about, sometimes you kind of get in this mindset of, what if somebody steals my idea? I I did not approach it like that at all. I just talked to anybody who would listen about the idea. And I think that really helped helped me articulate it and hone it into something that on day one could actually resonate with the end user. Uh, So I started talking within the first month of of, uh, developing the prototypes. Uh, And then pretty much on a, bi-weekly basis I would reach out to the coaches at the University of Toronto to just to check in and meet and talk and show them what I'm up to and show them where it's going uh, and that really helped kind of articulate it and as soon as we had our initial funding and had our website out I tried my absolute best to reach out to as many coaches that would listen online as possible and luckily after talking to hundreds I found a handful that actually really liked the vision and were willing to support and endorse us even though it was just purely in my head at the time and not much of a reality uh, and that really helped us because those, those guys ended up opening up doors they're still good friends to this day yeah. and um, that's you know that's the reason we're here while this is happening the, the fuel band is taking off and it's becoming a you know creating this multi-billion dollar industry uh, I would have presumed that that then inspires engineers and entrepreneurs like yourself across North America and beyond to sort of start iterating on their own version of it. Yeah. So when you're reaching out to whether it's the 49ers uh, or, or NBA teams, is it, is it difficult to get the, to yeah. the, the, your call return to, to get an audience? Because I would have thought to a certain extent, you're just one more guy with a great idea. When we first started, there were a handful of companies okay. that were starting. We were probably about six to eight months pre-peak of uh, wearable hype, okay. I would say. So it wasn't yet at the point where a lot of people were starting to launch ideas. It was just before that. And I think that helped us to some extent because we were reaching out to coaches when they weren't really getting inundated with calls. Now, if you talk to them, they'll tell you that we just can't. Our phones don't stop ringing. Yes. Our emails aren't stopping. Now they're... They're absolutely inundated with metrics and sensors and data, and they ends up being a full time job just to evaluate what's true from fiction and, yes. and which one actually makes sense to use, and so on. So it's the space is getting much more uh, congested now. But earlier on, it was actually fairly straightforward to get a hold of some. That being said, the people that would answer the email versus the people that would give you the time of day to actually listen and be patient enough with the early prototypes are inevitably going to be clunky. That's a whole other conversation. You're listening to Open Concept. After the break, Rami talks about the future of wearable tech and dealing with customers who have very high standards. 
you know, you said that you were sort of on the ahead of the curve, but it seems to me that we're still very much at the initial yeah. period. Yeah. You know, I know if you're a cyclist, you talk about a power meter on your bike, but that's expensive and you got to the, the <laughs> You got to figure out how to put it on your crank, and it's not an appealing option necessarily for everyone. If you're a swimmer, you've got to wear a, a watch. Yeah. It hits the lane ropes, and and, and it, it feels to me that we're we're nowhere near where we need to be from a, a mass perspective. I, I don't yeah. know. What's your take on that? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Going through the past five years, the one real interesting experience has been to experience crossing the chasm. Yes. I don't know if you've ever heard of that concept, but... Uh, no, tell me. Uh, crossing the chasm basically is uh, it's a model for how technologies enter the mass consumer space and with the kind of cycles they kind of go through. Essentially, there's an idea inception point, then there is uh, absolute excitement and thrill about the potential for technology, it reaches a, a level where it gets a little too much focus on the hype and the potential gets over-exaggerated for what the technology can deliver. Then people inevitably, when they start using the product, get disappointed. Uh, so the, the whole technology sector kind of goes through this period of depression, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then you come out the other end once people kind of readjust their expectations. So it's, it's really, a lot of it gets driven by that. And we think about Fitbit in 2012, people... We're kind of hailing the day and age now where we're going to be able to completely eliminate obesity with an accelerometer on your wrist because people are going to wear it, they're going to be more aware, and they're going to walk more, and that's going to make everybody healthier. And obviously, five years later, it's it's had a positive impact, but it didn't have this completely transformative impact on the rest of society that people expected at the time. But now we're coming out at the other end of, uh, of the wearable technology cycle. I think the expectations are starting to be much more aligned with what technology can deliver. So going back to your question, I would say that, yeah, sure, we have a long way to go. But I can tell you that now it's it's that perfect time where the technologies that have made it through this wearable cycle to this stage are mature enough to know what they can deliver. They have the teams capable of delivering it. And they're going to start producing th- those technologies that you're looking for, I think. So I'm really excited about the next five years. I think there's going to be a lot more tangible, impactful, useful technology that will come out. And we're already kind of seeing it to some extent with Apple Watch Series 4, for example. Like yeah. that, That's a really exciting wearable to see come out, right, with uh, FDA-certified heart rate monitors, EKG sensors built right in. We're, we're seeing this next generation of wearables come out now that I think can have a really big impact. I think what's really exciting about it as well is when you start thinking about where machine learning technologies and algorithms are, it's actually getting productized now. So in the next five years, we're actually going to start seeing more and more intelligent interaction between our wearable and ourselves without us having to look at a lot of pretty charts to try to dissect the information ourselves. So that's going to be really exciting, I think. From an entrepreneurial perspective, when you look at, you reference the Apple Watch, how much does that inspire you versus scare you? Yeah. <laughs> because there's Apple and they've got deep pockets. Yeah. There's Nike, there's Under Armour, there's Adidas. Uh, these yeah. are big, big competitors, yeah. potentially. potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, being five years in the space, uh, the one conscious decision we made early on on the technology side that I think has paid dividends is every single time an athlete uses our technology, we collect the raw motion data captured and we upload it to our servers after we anonymize it. 
the, the nice thing about that is five years later, we have about six terabytes worth of motion data. We have over 25 million repetitions in our database. This data is just simply invaluable in any type of algorithm development. And what I quickly realized early on is that the long game with sport technology companies like us, especially startups, is it's not going to be uh, building exceptional hardware. It's going to be building exceptional software and algorithm experience. So that's what we really focus on. We actually don't have a single hardware person on the team. Uh, uh, we have algorithms engineers. We have uh, sports scientists. And we have great designers and great developers because that's ultimately what we need to, to excel. So uh, where does where does the future go from now for us? Uh, we're going to continue to build our hardware because it's kind of unique in its terms of specifications and user experience. But I definitely see a future where five years from now you can get push experience, digital experience uh, through multiple different hardware providers, You know, whether it be Garmin or Apple or Fitbit. Is that an indirect way of saying that you're an acquisition target or, or do you anticipate more uh, licensing your technology or it, both? Yeah, no, not so. I, would, I don't think acquisition is uh, what I was talking about more about. It was more about just imagine an app yes. on the Apple Watch that has our logo on it. And as soon as you click it, it taps into the sensors and gives you a full experience, a much richer experience in the weight room than Apple itself could ever deliver. I think that's that's okay. kind of where I see things going. I don't think that uh, I don't think that necessarily the companies that are producing the software and the algorithm and the metrics need to be acquired by the hardware providers. I think there could be a, a really healthy ecosystem built around the hardware companies uh, of a purely software-based, algorithm-focused companies that are able to deliver useful uh, software experiences for their customers. I wonder as you develop the product, the software, obviously you, you want it to be as accurate as, as possible and as compelling and sticky as possible. But I wonder, like, there's the there's the athletic market that are that's really wedded to the the data because they're they're committed on it on a daily basis uh, to performance improvement. And then there's more of the the marketing side of it, and and I felt like with the fuel band and maybe the Fitbit and Jawbone, that it that that the immediate appeal to, was to people that thought, okay, like this is this is going to be the, the the game breaker for me. I'm going to get this, and then I'm going to start doing X and Y, right? And and we know that maybe this is the chasm you're referring to. People buy it and uh, try it out, and it may or may not really change their life, right? Do you sort of look at at the first sort of market I was talking about? The people that you just know are—they're going to use this. They're going to be wedded to it. Yeah, they're they're in they're in deep kind of thing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's who we focus on. <laughs> we we actually really try our best, and you can probably see it on our website. We try our best not to overmarket the results. Uh, we really focus on what we're able to deliver, how it's accurate and valid. And, and how others are using it. But we really try not to overset expectations, especially for consumers. We don't really market our technology for consumers at this stage. Because um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people, I, I know in my own immediate circles, that bought a fuel band and immediately started thinking about their fuel points. And yes. um, very quickly within three months, they're kind of back to the same old habits. And it wasn't really a, a you know, habit change mechanism. Yeah. Um, for me, when I think about you know what Nike did well 
versus what Fitbit did well. The one thing that stands out is Fitbit did one thing early on that I think was really, really smart, which is they built the social leaderboard aspect of, of their app. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought my parents two Fitbits uh, ages ago, and I continue to kind of get them newer and newer Fitbits. Uh, and the one thing that we all, you know, we all like to joke around about is we're all on the same Fitbit social network, even though I don't wear a Fitbit. I, I have a Fitbit app on my phone and I can check in and see who's beating who in terms of who's walking more that week. Yes. Uh, and that gets them going. <laughs> that automatically motivates my mom to walk more to keep up with my dad and vice versa. So it's really exciting to see that kind of aspect. So um, when I think about the consumer market and what we could do in the consumer space down the road with Push, I really think about the social being a key component of it. So I don't think it's going to be necessarily the metrics or even some sort of advanced machine learning algorithm that can give you useful insights. That'll be the game changer. I really think it's about connecting people through wearable technology. That's really what gets gets people to build those habits to continue to compete, to continue to improve their lives and continue to be, stay motivated to use the technology. So interesting. I, th- now that makes that makes complete sense. But although I would have thought the the direction would have been towards a more comprehensive data presented simply and for have the experience to be as seamless as possible. Yeah. I know with like the Jawbone, for instance, uh, years ago, everyone yeah. at Yahoo got a Jawbone. Yeah. Uh, and it tracked sleep and obviously act, uh, steps. Steps. It may have been something else. Uh, food you could you yeah. could enter, but then yeah. I don't, like, but then that was such a time consuming kind of manual construction to yeah. to enter what you ate. I don't know if anyone did that. Yeah. I, I certainly didn't. But the sleeping part required you to have it on your wrist when you slept, right? Yeah. And that, that to me was a deal breaker. Like I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I would have thought like kind of the next step is for a device to be able to gather as much sort of comprehensive holistic information around your overall health and well-being yet to be as seamless as possible. I, yeah. Maybe that's an engineering challenge. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think could we see a future 20 years from now where – we all have patches or some sort of even embedded electronics within our bodies that are able to track all these data in the most seamless way imaginable, right? Yeah. Uh, using our own body heat to generate energy. Not, like, I definitely think that's it's in the cards, and I, I think it would be really cool to see on a pure technology yes. basis. Yeah. I, I just don't think we're there yet, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I don't think the technology is there yet. So part of it is about thinking about what is achievable, immediately achievable in the next five years. And in that case, I, I don't think that one piece of hardware, no matter what the form factor is, is available that'll be able to give you a fully comprehensive picture of what you're doing. Uh, there's few companies that are trying, but inevitably you run into issues like exactly what you said. You have to charge it. You have to wear it at night as yeah. a physical object. that's going, And it's, it's going to be very difficult to build this one product that everybody can yeah. gra- resonate and gravitate with. So I think the likelier future for the next 10 years is... Um, it's just kind of like clothing. Everybody has their own preferences. Uh, so I think what, what most likely is going to happen is we just, we're going to figure out ways to consolidate the data through platforms like Apple Health or Google Fit and have different hardware solutions that can capture certain aspects of your life that you care to track in different form factors. So for example, let's use sleep as a, as a use case. I totally agree with you. I don't like anything on my wrist while I'm sleeping and uh, I would never want to wear something on my wrist, so that's not an option for me. But yeah. luckily, there are companies now that are building sensors that go right into your bed. Okay, uh, yes. There is uh, sonar sensors that you can place right beside your bed 
that can also track how well you're sleeping. So there are different ways to get to that ultimate metric of how well are you sleeping, and they don't have to necessarily be one uh, one size fit all, right? They could be different. I wanted to loop back just quickly to the issue that you you say you're not focusing on consumers necessarily right now, or that's not the primary market. Is your primary focus, as you, well, you said it was yeah. software, but that to have the, your software integrated into another product as opposed to having direct sales? Uh, this this year has been a really fun year of push. We have been working, like I mentioned, on multiple new products. Uh, we just received a contract with Athletics Canada to build smart apparel technology. So we're looking at ways to take the accelerometers and push the push band and embed them right into fabric which okay. is super exciting. And that's a few that's a product that we'll be announcing next year. And, and sorry, just on that, what kind of fabric are we talking about like com- compression? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, just, so this would be very small, yeah, like very yeah, it's okay. to, with the prototypes we have in the office, which I'd love to show you at some yeah. point are uh, fully machine washable, uh, stretchable, you wear them and we've had them on Olympic track and field athletes in Canada here and they all just say they feel exactly like regular compression. So that's okay, wow. that's okay. kind of the next frontier for us on the push side. But to circle back to Nexus real quick, one thing that we realized uh, on the journey of building push is that we were getting a lot of requests from one specific community, the CrossFit community. Okay, yes. Um, it kind of makes sense, right? Because they do a lot of weight training, it's high intensity interval training, and there is nothing really um, that can effectively track what they're doing. So we were getting a lot of inquiries of push about can, can I use push and CrossFit? And uh, at the time, our algorithms, our user experience was way too focused on traditional strength and conditioning, uh, traditional kind of um, training that doesn't really involve continuous working at. It was, it's much more work, rest, work, rest type model. Um, so for us, uh, we've, we've been thinking a lot about CrossFit. We wanted to build something for CrossFit. And uh, or late, uh, no, the kind of later stages of last year, we decided to take a stab at it, and we built Nexus. Uh, Nexus is actually shipping next week. Uh, we've just ran a pre-order campaign in the summer; it's incredibly successful, and we're going to be shipping a whole bunch of units to it. Nexus basically is our answer. It's our attempt at building a software experience that's from the ground up built with CrossFit in mind, and that leverages the the algorithms and our expertise from Push, but built something that makes a ton of sense for a consumer in the CrossFit world. Um, so the way it works essentially is it uses the exact same hardware as push. You get the exact same sensor. Uh, you get a slightly different accessory that's better suited for CrossFit. But the real difference is in the way the app works. So the uh, the Nexus app is social from the ground up. Uh, it's very simple to use. You basically build a workout or you can share a workout, hit start, start training, come out the other end. When you're done, click stop. And you'll see a full breakdown of how how hard you were working, what was your work to rest ratio. You'll see your cadence across all the different exercises automatically broken down. And then you can see how hard you worked in that specific workout versus others, which is something that CrossFit community really cares about. How do we how do we compare? How do we compete? How do we motivate each other through that? So that's what we're building for it. So to kind of go back to your original question of what Nexus is all about and what it, what I think about consumer applications, I really believe that to to take our technology right now, push and give it to an individual consumer with no prior background on the metrics that we're providing and, and the utility of it, it's not going to be a very successful story. I think Nexus is going to be a much more compelling offering for an individual consumer. On the issue of feedback, I'm just really interested in your in sort of your your comfort or anxiety associated yeah. with feedback. I know as part of the triathlon community that you could hardly find a, a more 
anal group of people. You know, and I'm <laughs> hey, one of them. A few friends in there. <laughs> God, God love them. I, yeah, I'm part yeah, of it. But yeah. you start talking to people about, say, Garmin. Yeah. Or Suntu. But there can be a lot of emotions come to the table, right? Because yeah. I've spent $600 and, you know, yeah. this part doesn't work very well, right? And and people get very invested, as, as you yeah. know, into the in the technology and they and they have yeah. real expectations. And if something falls short, like... Oh, they get... Yeah. I've seen the forums. <laughs> You've seen the forums, right? I've seen the forums, yeah. And, Shark and communities, uh, they're... They they like they keep a very high bar. They keep a high but bar. It's amazing. It keeps us honest. I love yeah. it. <laughs> well, and I wonder about that. That in in terms of uh, managing expectations and 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 incorporating that feedback in a way that it doesn't become like a wildfire of because yeah. people take great offense if it doesn't if things don't work exactly how they anticipated. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a constant challenge of uh, being an entrepreneur and a startup in the space. Is that you're you're kind of caught in between those two different very conflicting interests you have your investors and backers that want to see immediate results uh, and the sooner that happens the better and then you're dealing with developing technology that's going on a human body and human bodies are incredibly varied and the experiences that people are going to put your technology through are so could be so different and you can only anticipate so many in advance um, so you end up kind of getting stuck between I, you know, marketing your technology to maximize uh, revenue and maximize sales, but then also setting the right level of expectations so that you don't end up with this massive backlash. Uh, I'd say early on with push, uh, I've tried my best to kind of toe the line. I would say probably, in all honesty, we overmarketed to some extent in the early days, uh, but we've gotten much better at being really honest and upfront because and I've just learned to push back on the investors and say, we're going to have to be patient. Yeah, We're going to have to work slowly here and set the right level of expectations because if we're building something for the long term, we don't want to rush it. Uh, and that's that's been more of my approach now. So with Nexus, we are very much approaching it as a, a prototype on day one, even though we've been doing testing nonstop for the past six, seven months. It's gonna, you know, we're it's now gonna leave the nest, the technology itself, and it's gonna be in the hands of many people that we don't have immediate control or access to. So uh, we've tried our best to just make sure that through our communication, we we make it very clear that this technology has been tested, it's been vetted to some extent, but we don't expect it to be perfect on month one, and we want to work with you to make it get it there. So yeah. I think it's that's something that fortunately a lot of companies uh, don't do, and I think it ends up biting them right back. Five years from now, where do you see Push? Uh, I see Push uh, being a household name, yeah. um, being kind of the way you look at Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas as the leading apparel uh, companies when you go shopping. I think the space of wearable technology is going to become just commonplace. And when you think when you're going to your online website to purchase some sort of technology solution and you're thinking about it, you're going to look at Fitbit, you're going to look at Apple and you're going to look at Push as as equivalent to Garmin. That's yeah. essentially where my vision is. Well, Rami, good luck in Thank that you. process. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming in today. It was, it was really great to hear uh, your vision for the company, the direction that you want to go and, uh, and how you see things unfold. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was my interview with Rami Alhamed, CEO of Push. That's it for Open Concept this week. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us at Yahoo Finance CA on Twitter. I'm Noel Holtzman, and I'll see you next week.